Dear listeners, welcome to Faces of Digital Health, a podcast about digital health and how healthcare systems adopt technologies. I am your host, Tiasha Zaitz, and today you will hear a very vivid description of how an ideal healthcare setting not only should, but actually can look like. I spoke with Caroline Willy, co-founder and CEO of Thea, which is the next-generation women's healthcare platform. Before founding Thea, Caroline worked as a team lead at the Creative Lab at Google, where she led a team of designers, writers, filmmakers and engineers to develop and grow Google's core mobile consumer products, search maps and translate. This background and knowledge about the personification of technology and the significance of having a good brand enabled Caroline to design a healthcare solution that focuses on listening and learning all about women and their holistic needs from anatomy to emotions, from gut health to getting it on. Thea was first a free interactive app about women's health but later evolved into much more. Today the company has one clinic opened in New York with many to come around the United States. You will be able to hear a lot about how user-centric design looks like in practice, how an empathic approach to healthcare design involves local artists, and why this is so important if we wish to treat health in the broadest definition, which is not only absence of a disease, but also well-being. Two things are inspiring to me about Tia. First, how a user-centric design offers a radically different experience from conventional healthcare. And secondly, how an innovative business model addresses access to healthcare services and pricing transparency, which is a huge issue in the United States, where sometimes even providers won't know what the end bill for the patient will be until the insurance company sends that bill. Enjoy the discussion and you can find the recap on our website www.facesofdigitalhealth.com I added the direct link to the show notes. And if you haven't yet, do subscribe to the podcast to be notified about the upcoming episodes automatically. We recently published a series about digital therapeutics and some of the upcoming shows I can announce already is a series about doctorpreneurs, doctors, who shifted to entrepreneurship to increase their contribution for improved healthcare and health outcomes. Now, to Tia. Caroline, you came in healthcare as many entrepreneurs because of your own personal health problems. Looking back, uh, when you jumped off that airplane, what was your impression, knowledge about healthcare compared to what you've learned by today? Yeah, it's been an amazing learning curve, a steep one, I would say, the past three years. I like to say I didn't start Tia as a healthcare founder, but became a healthcare founder along the journey and really didn't know anything about healthcare beyond, you know, what any other lay woman in the world might know from her own experience. I think it was a blessing and a challenge in many ways to have that outsider's perspective, because I would say on the positive side, it allowed me to think outside the box and 
come up with solutions that I might not have come up with on the uh, come up with if I had been that insider, so to speak, and knew what I knew now um, about how hard things are, why, you know, the incentives are so messed up in healthcare and why things just don't work the way I think are seemingly obvious as to how they should work on the outside uh, and was able to, I would say, think through kind of approach the problem through this blank canvas perspective. And, you know, it's really interesting three years in now that we have a business that's growing and a really successful product that's online and offline and for patients and providers and really designed to address a lot of the root systemic issues plaguing the U.S. healthcare system. Looking back, I often say if I only knew what, knew what I knew now, I never would have started because it's it's really just so challenging. But I think more than anything else, what position me to conquer the steep learning curve and become an insider and no longer an outsider is kind of this insatiable curiosity that I think I have and my co-founder have that attracts certain people to healthcare. Um, it's kind of like a self-inflicted masochism in some ways. You either love the complexity or the, in the craziness of it all, or you find it like banging your head against a wall. And I'm someone who likes the cobweb and untangling it and uh, describe it as like an onion where you peel back a layer and then there's another layer, another layer, another layer. And if you're really motivated by those types of problems and building really powerful, impactful systemic solutions, there's really no better place to spend your time. It's an interesting line of thought. How do you maintain this, you know, naive mentality that enables you to think out of the box even now that you have all the insight? I think I often at approach, you know, I like to say, take a human centered approach to healthcare, which is kind of a buzzwordy phrase that, you know, patient centered care, all these sorts of things that a lot of people throw around hospitals talk about patient centered care and human centered design now. But what does that really mean? I think, you know, I'm a woman in the world who goes to the doctor and deals with insurance companies, as do all my employees and the doctors that we employ and all of them. And we really encourage people, women and men uh, that work at TIA to really bring their perspectives, their experiences into their design and problem solving process and constantly ask themselves, putting aside the business stuff and all of the things that we now know about how healthcare quote unquote works in the US, how would you as a regular person in the world expect this to work? What is the mental model in an, in, you know, in a product in an industry outside of healthcare where getting some basic information, like how much something costs? How does that work in, you know, another industry? Why is it so hard to find out how something costs in health, in healthcare? Um, and might we be able to think about bringing in those parallels, those paradigms to build a better, more human centered model that makes healthcare more simple? Let's go back to the beginning of the story of the TIA app and the TIA clinic. You were previously working at Google where your job was to deal with questions such as how to personify tech and why is the brand feeling important. So can you describe the TIA discovery journey, how you took all those aspects from Google into account when designing what you're building now? Yeah, I was lucky to grow up, so to speak, at Google, specifically on the brand and design side, where I really learned about how to build consumer products that people wanted to use, build brands, tell stories uh, that invoke trust and drove changes in consumer behavior. And I worked a lot on search and the Google Assistant in the early days, which was a really interesting 
shift in consumer psychology that, you know, Google is trying to push towards. There was a technology that did certain things, but there was what do, how do ultimately do regular people in the world use it? Do they trust it? What, you know, how do, how can you match technology and innovation with real human in the world problems and needs? And I think there's oftentimes in technology, uh, as in healthcare, a disconnect. Like here's a fancy new device that can do all the stuff and track your, you know, your heartbeat from home. Well, does that actually address the real problem that a patient's facing? So I think I saw a lot of those disconnects at my time at Google, um, and particularly around, I would say, the issue, the foundational issue of trust uh, in data, which was has always been, you know, it's a challenge for all the big tech companies and, and has been for Google uh, in many ways, given its sheer size. And so as I thought about coming into women's healthcare, starting to, uh, as you know, after going through my own women's healthcare struggles in my early 20s, living in New York, it all started, you know, before I knew what the business was or the product was I wanted to build, I was, you know, obsessed with the problems I was trying to solve and really, which were specifically around fragmentation, a lack of personalization in healthcare, a lack of uh, pro- focus on preventive health and uh, what I call the lack of soul in medicine uh, and relationships that had really died, I felt, in my, at least my experience, struggling to navigate a very complex healthcare system and thought, okay, what's the commonality, common thread across all of these problems? It really starts with a lack of relationship and a lack of trust. And so if you don't establish trust, I want to build a new healthcare model by and for women from the ground up and have this ambitious vision. It starts by building trust uh, and building that relationship. Uh, and I like to say, particularly in something uh, in healthcare and in something as complex and intimate as women's health, trust is the hardest thing to earn and the easiest thing to lose. So from day one, have always had this obsession around building a brand that is science-backed, that uh, is soulful, that is designed to make women feel a certain way above all else and invokes trust. Uh, and when you have that in place, all else will follow. So that's really where we started and where the idea of Tia was born and even the name of the company, Tia, after the word ant in Spanish, uh, really, it was designed to around the archetype of, you know, your aunt, that woman in your life that you turn to in good and bad moments uh, and is always there, never judging, never with an I told you so, no matter what, to be that objective wing woman uh, to guide you throughout your life. And uh, across all the different products and services we we build today and seek to build in the future, that is the relationship we seek to have with women above all else. If you try to relive the past, what was the first thing that you did? Because uh, Tia today is an online community, is an app, is a brick and mortar clinic in New York, but uh, you started with an app. So how did you decide what could be the first thing that women might be interested in? So how did the whole process look like in your journey? Actually, before there was the app, there was a voice. And that's really where we created, you know, the archetype of Tia and these Tia ladies and the, you know, brand and voice. And as I said, I didn't know what I wanted to build, but I wanted, I didn't know how I wanted women to feel. And so that was something I quite obsessed over. And then the question was, what is the first thing to, to build? And this is where my Google background kind of came back. That bias came back to me and guided my decision in many ways. And I looked at the space and I said, okay, to fix women's health care starts with giving women better health information is a very googly approach to the problem. 
problem. And so that's where, you know, I myself and all my friends were Googling our health and getting not the best uh, trusted answers uh, that we were using to make decisions about our own health care instead of turning to a doctor like is a you know very common thing that men and women do, as we know. I was, you know, particularly given going back to the notion of trust. I was obsessed with this incognito Google searching phenomenon I discovered with women, you know, looking for private anonymous answers to their health. And so took that insight and built a women's health assistant product, uh, not so different than the Google assistant that was chat based, where you could almost like a personalized WebMD for women's health, where you can message Tia anonymously and get uh, science backed uh, personalized answers to your questions. And uh, initially, we started in a very narrow lane, um, focusing just on reproductive and sexual health care questions. Uh, but we very quickly found that women didn't just want to ask us questions about birth control or what have you, um, but wanted to ask questions that were much more wider ranging about all aspects of their health care, which was, you know, aha moment number one that said to me, women's health isn't just reproductive health. It's not just, you know, gynecology or your reproductive organs. Women don't put their health care uh, into neat little boxes that match up to, you know, specialty medicine in the U.S. Uh, so that was like the first insight. The second thing we saw was women were trying to use TIA as a doctor. Maybe this isn't so surprising, but we were effectively an information platform. Uh, so we could provide information, but not diagnose or prescribe or actually, you know, treat a patient. They weren't patient. We didn't have patients. We had users. Yet women wanted to use TIA as their doctor. And so we were stuck in a difficult spot there. And that was, you know, in large part because we were delivering them a really amazing experience that they loved and trusted, that was convenient, that was personalized, that was soulful. And they're, you know, thought, why doesn't my doctor feel like this? Why can't, why would I go somewhere else? So that was aha moment number two. And then the third aha moment was most interesting of all, uh, which was, you know, we were referring women into, you know, real world doctor's offices because we couldn't treat them ourselves. We weren't doctors. And we found that women were bringing our TIA app with them to the doctor's office uh, and messaging us in a care context, in the waiting room. It was, hey, TIA, why do I have a deductible? Can you explain my copay? In the exam room, hey, TIA, which IUD should I get? I don't understand these options. After the appointment, hey, TIA, I have an abnormal pap smear. What does that mean? So we were care coordinator, translator, navigator uh, there, quite literally the wing woman on your shoulder, guiding women pre, during, post-care, online, offline throughout their healthcare journey. Uh, and that's really was when I saw the forest through the trees and decided, wow, to fix women's healthcare, we can't just provide them better information. That's step one. That's really important, but that's not uh, sufficient. We actually need to change the way care is delivered. We need to get into care delivery ourselves. And that's really what led us to evolve to the full stack care platform model. And those insights, you know, were shared across over 200,000 one-on-one conversations we had with women about their health. So it was a pretty robust sampling of conversations we had with women that gave us, as I say, a front row seat to really everything that was working and not working in healthcare today. What kind of sources did you have when providing the users with the answers? How did that work? Did you have doctors that were providing the answers? Was it all AI based? You know, because I thought it was interesting when you said that, yes, Googling health is a well-known problem, but I am curious about your opinion about this phenomenon based on the fact that you were working at Google and I'm sure have been thinking about that while uh, there also and improving solutions. We built out a team of medical advisors, doctors, et cetera, that helped us 
develop evidence-based answers to different types of questions. And then we were, are we really focused on a few things? Evidence-based answers, so ensuring, you know, you know, that we are following clinical criteria and the latest science. Second, personalizing those answers. So take a simple question, a seemingly simple question, like uh, that's Googled 1 million times a day, billion times a day, probably, which is I missed my birth control pill. What do I do? Well, turns out the answer to that is not one size fits all. It's actually quite complex. Uh, so we would build out these really complex decision trees effectively. It was very manual AI, I guess you could call it, which is, you know, what type of birth control pills are you taking? Where in your pill pack are you? How many pills have you missed? All these sorts of things. It would basically guide people to the right answer. Uh, so that's an example of the type of thing we would do. To answer your question about automation, you know, we started initially in the early days, it was all manual. And then we built out a team of health educators. So again, these were not doctors, but these were health educators that had um, experience working on everything from, you know, abortion hotlines to working in women's healthcare practices uh, as, you know, RNs or educators to be the, you know, the human side of TIA, the human in the loop. But what we very quickly found uh, to be expected was there was an 80-20 rule in the types of questions people were asking us. So about 50% of the questions you were asked were automated, got automated answers, and the other 50% were routed to a human health educator. You mentioned before that it was very important for you to to think about how women feel that Tia uh, it was chosen as a name because of the notion of what an ant can mean to an individual. So how did you come up with that? How was that creative process? It's one thing to just, you know, lo look from your own perspective. It's another uh, one, if you take a broader sample, okay, you had 2000 users on the app. Did you also do any live meetings, uh, live interviews? We did a lot of that stuff. I've been, you know, come from that design background, so have a lot of experience with that type of user testing, research, stuff like that. So my favorite experiment that I would run before we ever launched our app was uh, we had a very, uh, I would say, lo-fi prototype. And I would meet with women. They were not my friends, women that I would get connected with through, you know, friends of friends. I wanted them to be strangers, women of all ages, you know, 18 to 40, or not all ages, but a really, you know, a, a broader cohort. And at the time, uh, I would take them through one specific, I would say, pathway, which is what part of the uh, tool or product that we built that was specifically about helping women choose the right birth control method for themselves. So this was the first actually version of, you know, it was a step beyond Q&A. We were actually providing clinical decision support and helping recommend but not prescribe uh, a birth control method, whether it was an IUD or birth control pill or, you know, the implant, whatever it is, to a patient uh, or a user rather based off of their preferences their health history. Uh, and the idea was they could use this information and then go to the doctor's office and be more empowered to be an advocate for themselves and get the right birth control method for that they wanted versus walking into an office and just getting handed birth control pills and heading out the door. So it's really interesting. This is all Tia could do. And I would meet with women in person uh, and sit down and show them. And they would have this conversation with Tia about their birth control experiences and this or that. And then they would look up and we'd start talking about it. And this was all automated. And they would personify Tia in ways I never could have imagined and talk about her like her. And, oh, I love that she asked me about my lifestyle preferences or if I could remember to take a pill every day. Or that when she, instead of asking me, am I sexually active like that, you know, awkward question on your health record, she asked it to me this way. 
Now I want to ask her, you know, I'm thinking about freezing my eggs. Like, what does Tia think about that? Can Tia recommend this to me? And it was really interesting to me because I'd spent so much time trying to personify Google, how much personification was happening uh, that really reinforced this archetype and that when you could deliver value in this personalized high EQ clearly designed for a very specific customer, the female patient, how much trust that evoked and how much other stuff that they wanted. And it's really interesting, you know, flash forward to the Tia clinic today we see that play out time and time again. Now we have, you know, the TIA character, the TIA bot is still a component of our product experience for patients and providers. But what's so interesting is our model, you know, we women come to TIA, you know, first and foremost as their gynecologist and then have an amazing experience and don't want to go anywhere else. So they come to us for primary care. Now we just launched behavioral health a few weeks ago. We get requests for from our patients uh, for Tia to be their dentist. And I laugh because uh, it seems so insane on the one hand, but on the other hand, when you take a step back, it reminds you that. So how does an amazing experience look like at Tia? You don't want to go experience else. or what we call really the Tia way. First and foremost, isn't limited to a singular 15 minute visit because of our digital products our TIA app, our, now we have a cycle health and wellness tracker. We create tons and tons of content that women around the country read. Most women discover TIA and are exposed to our brand, our values, this character in many ways digitally far before they ever come to the TIA clinic in New York City for healthcare services. So through that experience, they have a sent, you know, an understanding of what we're all about, what we believe in, how we think about women's health through a more integrative lens, how we are all about personalization and what we call shared decision-making uh, in service of giving patients more choices, how we're all about collaborative care, things like that. And so typically, you know, women join TIA, they become a member, we're a membership-based practice, and then take insurance. Once you're a member, uh, it's $15 a month, and then you can use your insurance at the TIA clinic for all of your services. Typically, a woman uh, joins TIA, books her, uh, her typically her first appointment is her annual well woman exam, which is 100% covered service for all women of all ages, uh, every single year under the Affordable Care Act. Uh, women book that uh, appointment online. It feels more like booking a yoga class than uh, booking a healthcare visit and then complete their TIA health record, which acts as almost like a passport for your health. It's a comprehensive, much more robust, I would say, health record than definitely the paper intake you get at a typical OBGYN's office, uh, but that is entirely patient controlled. We ask you questions like, what does optimal health mean to you? How are you born? We ask about your sleep. And yes, of course, your abnormal pap history and history of HPV vaccine. But we ask you a lot of more, I would say, holistic questions to understand deeply who you are as a human and your, you know, how you're affected by your hormones, sleep, nutrition, all of these other aspects that provide a more 360 degree approach to female health that is practiced by our providers. Then you show up at the TIA clinic and it doesn't look first and foremost like a typical doctor's office, but is really an oasis in many ways designed to we talk about comforts and service of better care uh, and these exhale moments when you walk into the clinic and the elevator doors opens and, you know, every detail from the murals in our entryway to the flowers to the gowns that we redesigned in our exam rooms have all been designed by women and different female artists in New York. And it's, I would say, thoughtful and uh, designed in a way that uh, brings lots of different women's experiences to life into healthcare beyond my own, uh, which is something I'm particularly proud about. Because you've already 
completed your health record, verified your insurance, there really is no waiting. We, you then, um, um, are brought into the exam room. Uh, we have a personal a closet where you get to hang your clothes and change into a tea a gown. We give you socks that say inhale, exhale on them, uh, which was a, a touch that was really inspired by real feedback from women who told us time and time again that they're always cold at the gynecologist's office. Uh, and, you know, probably the only one to ever tell you this, but, but I bring socks with me because I'm always cold. And it turns out when 10 women tell you that, maybe there's a pattern there. So those types of things that really change the experience. Uh, in the exam room, we have much longer appointments than a typical OBGYN, uh, but perhaps the most, you know, gowns and socks aside, the most powerful part is really about that time, FaceTime with your care provider and really about how we take all of that information that you gave to Tia beforehand about your health history, your cycle data, all of this stuff, and bring it to life in a clinical context to power your visit. So unlike a typical exam room that has a computer screen on the wall with an EHR that your doctor is typing into, at TIA, we have uh, no computer screens at all. We built a second set of our platform for providers called TIAMD. Uh, it's an iPad app that powers a third screen app on our t- a TV, almost like an interactive whiteboard that allows a patient to see what their provider sees. So all of your health record uh, that you review, you uh, can edit live in tandem. You can track your cycle health and wellness and share that data with your provider and view that longitudinal data in context of oh, your reason for visit, uh, headaches, cycle irregularities regularities, uh, sleep disturbances, perimenopause, you name it, and start to understand these, how hormones are impacting uh, whatever you may be experiencing and using that to drive better, uh, more accurate diagnoses, particularly for things like chronic conditions, anxiety, PCOS, endometriosis, fibroids, uh, infertility issues, things like that. Um, And then perhaps the most a uh, powerful part of the appointment of all is where you build a care plan. Uh, again, kind of using this interactive whiteboard where rather than just saying, you know, here's your birth control prescriptions to you next year, you actually are using TIA is suggesting to the provider different science-backed interventions to recommend to that patient based off of their health history, based off of their reason for visit or chief complaint, as we call it in medical terms, and building that collaborative care plan. Uh, the provider might put up, let's say you're coming in for chronic migraine, she may recommend, you know, a medication, as well as reducing caffeine, acupuncture. Uh, She may want to check your vitamin D levels or your thyroid, switching your birth control from an estrogenic birth control to a copper IUD, a whole array of things. And you get to discuss all of those things and then have a conversation about what's actually going to work in your life. And if you say, I'm never going to reduce my caffeine intake or stop drinking, you know, less than five days a week, we don't have to pretend that you're not going to do that. We can remove things from a care plan and adjust a care plan to actually work in that patient's life. And then you agree to that care plan and Tia comes in and as our chief medical officer say, picks you back up and takes you home. And post-appointment, our providers follow up with you, send you that care plan and you can chat with your care team, a dedicated care coordinator, as well as your comprehensive care team, which at TA includes gynecologists, nurse practitioners, acupuncturists, therapists, who all work together in one model to manage your health holistically, not just in that one visit, but every day throughout the year. So that's a taste of what makes the TIA experience different. So it does sound very, very amazing. It did make me wonder, is it possible that it will stay affordable? Because at the moment, it really sounds like high, high, high quality service, such as private services do. And I know that among your passions is also access to healthcare, increasing access to healthcare. You mentioned in one of your interviews that one in five millennial women currently do not have health insurance. Are you noticing any changes there with 
with TIA. So are you increasing the number of insured women? I'm glad you asked that because I think there's a lot of misconceptions around how access, making care more accessible really works and what can quality and access are those two things at odds with one another. And we say no. So TIA is a membership-based model, but we are the lowest cost membership-based model on the market, $15 a month, the equivalent of what you know, most young women pay for Spotify or Netflix each month. And then we take insurance. We're not cash only. And we take uh, and have contracts with every major commercial plan. So uh, 75, 80% of the patients that come to TIA are using their insurance for their services themselves. And really our focus was in designing our care model and our service model. We said, how might we reinvent healthcare within the confines of the existing payment models that dictate cost and access? Um, and that was one of the reasons we f- have focused so heavily on the reimagining your annual exam, which is a service that's 100% covered under every insurance plan, including Medicaid for every single woman every year, no matter how old you are. And so zero copay, zero co-insurance. And that experience that I described to you, that's 100% covered for every woman. So it really isn't about a premium service. We believe that you can deliver hot, you can and should raise the bar of what women's care should be and then democratize access to make sure that experience is accessible to women everywhere. So the next question is, you know, the consumer price point is quite low, $0 for uh, out-of-pocket cost for that, you know, very high-end experience that I described. The question is, how do we as a company, you know, deliver that service at lower cost? And that, I would say, is the even more challenging part, but is really about how we fuse technology, experience design, and clinical model into one practice. And so what makes TIA much more different on the back end is a few things. And this is really about how we reduce the cost of care by 40% per service. So the first thing we do is rather than having a quote unquote doctor who is yours or the concept of the patient panel, Tia, you don't have a doctor. You have an entire, you have a care team and it's a collaborative care model. So we focus a lot on uh, mid-level providers, nurse practitioners who we empower and invest a lot in from a training perspective to work at the top of their license. We have MDs, OB guides, but they do the most complex care in our practice. And proving that we could deliver this higher quality experience with a lower cost provider was very core to our first year of operating. And we have an NPS of 95 across NPs and MDs at TIA, which is really a testament to how we've done that. And so the way we elevate quality is part through training uh, and part through the technology itself that we've built for providers. It's TIA for doctors, really. So TIA is not just the wing woman for the patient. TIA is the wing woman for the provider, really there to be that that care quality elevator, clinical decision support that elevates the quality of care. So those are the two big ways we reduce the cost uh, of care on the uh, provider side. Uh, And then the third piece is really about uh, virtual, which is uh, particularly pertinent in light of COVID, where we have significantly expanded our virtual care capacity. Before COVID, we had only provided asynchronous virtual care through chat, and now we do asynchronous and and video. And how this makes care more accessible, both in terms terms of like a convenience thing, you can get care whenever, wherever, you know, you need through video, through TIA. It also allows us to further reduce the cost of care by shifting our service mix between what's delivered online and offline. So why, you know, a lot of that is kind of jargony and detailed, but why we care so much about this is I'm not motivated to build a bespoke 
care model practice uh, for women in New York City, um, we're really motivated to build the new standard of care that can be mass market and serve women across the country. And to do that requires changing the unit economics of care delivery, proving that you can deliver higher quality at lower costs, and being able to address the root causes of costs in healthcare, which are, you know, providers uh, in longer term, the, you know, ultimate Mecca and North Star vision for TIA is proving that the lower cost delivery can drive better health outcomes, not just treat disease, but keep women healthy in the first place. I was really impressed by your business model and thinking how to redefine healthcare by designing this whole basically wellness oasis. When women visit your clinics, they don't have a feeling that they come to the doctor's office. And because they have a feeling that they're coming to a wellness institution and because you're also offering other services such as acupuncture and other things that you can mention, it's easier for the consumer to not feel bad about paying for these things, you know, because it's not fun to pay for healthcare. Whereas for wellness, it's like, it feels like you're taking better care of yourself. I often joke that women, I mean, not just women, everyone hates healthcare, but people love wellness. Is healthcare is like a dirty word, but wellness is like something you splurge on on Saturday with your girlfriends. Why can't we view those together when the purposes of healthcare is to keep people well in the first place? And so when we talk about wellness at TIA, we don't think about a spa. We think about science-backed modalities uh, and interventions that are actually lower cost uh, than, you know, traditional uh, you know, medical interventions like, you know, tend nutrition, lifestyle, meditation, uh, things like that, that every woman should have in her toolkit to make healthier decisions in her daily life to prevent poor health outcomes in the first place. So it's easier said than done. Uh, behavior change is a big part of that. Um, but that's kind of how we think about wellness is really about how do we pair. It's not an either or. It's really what we would describe as taking a multiple tools in the toolkit approach to your health. The best example of this, I, I, I would say, is a, how we think about behavioral health, which is a massive need for, you know, in this country, um, particularly for women who are diagnosed with anxiety and depression at twice the rate of men. And at TIA, we've seen this as a massive need in our patient population. For 20% of our patients have uh, diagnosed with a mental health disorder, over 20% have a history of sexual trauma. And this was all before COVID. And then with COVID, we saw uh, an increase in behavioral health really, you know, 400% increase in behavioral health related messages and requests for medication on our platform. And so we are in a bind and, and, and we'd always asked ourselves, well, you know, what do we do? What's the TO way to respond to this? The physical clinic is closed. There's a public health epidemic. Women in New York City in particular are struggling to cope and there's a very clear episodic issue happening. What is TIA's role and what is the right way we would deliver care that's affordable, that's high quality and in context of the situation at hand. And so launching behavioral health as a core component of our model has always been uh, something we've aspired to do, but chose to accelerate that to serve the need of our patients during this time. And uh, so rather than, you know, you think about behavioral health, there's a massive spectrum between I'm stressed out to I'm having panic attacks or schizophrenia, right? And so where do you want to play? And ultimately, with we chose to focus on building a collaborative behavioral health model that could provide both medication management in a primary care setting. So our providers can prescribe SSRIs, anxiety meds, et cetera, to help patients uh, manage complex medications and think about how they interact with things like birth control, et cetera. There 
other medications uh, and not be handled in a silo, but also provide them therapy. So we have both one-on-one therapy, uh, we have group-based programs um, as well that we're offering digitally, and our therapists work with our prescribing physicians to manage their health holistically. And it's improved that model, you know, we didn't invent it, it's a proven model uh, about integrating behavioral health into primary care setting to deliver higher quality of care at lower cost, particularly uh, addressing the issue of comorbidity uh, with so many behavioral health disorders that we see across populations. So we're particularly proud about how we're able to launch that and do it at such low costs. Uh, in New York City, the average cost to see a psychiatrist is $400 an hour. Uh, the vast majority do not take insurance. Um, at TIA, you're able to see a nurse practitioner uh, or an MD and get your medications uh, prescribed and managed holistically and built through insurance. Um, and right now be in, able to book an appointment one-on-one for a virtual therapy visit and soon when we reopen the clinic in real life as well. What kind of other trends are you noticing because of the COVID-19 situation? I thought it was interesting that you mentioned behavioral uh, health because uh, a lot of changes are happening with uh, many people, those that are isolated might be more anxious. Those that are in families or in partnerships might be more stressed out because being confined together doesn't always have only positive effects. Then there's a trend such as uh, people uh, stacking on comfort food. So I'm sure that your users at the moment are not the users you had before the crisis. Is that right? You know, it's interesting. We we have about 3,000 patients in New York City before COVID. And so we've been really focused on serving them. Being in New York City, we're at the epicenter of the epidemic. And so I think the question we had to ask ourselves was what role is TIA supposed to play in this? And we are a healthcare practice. We don't have to. Uh, we're exempt from the shelter in place or policies in terms of having to be closed, but ultimately decided to that it was not safe to stay open, both for patient safety and provider safety, and closed our clinic and went 100% virtual. And the role we ultimately chose to play, which I think to answer your question about trends, in many ways has reinforced a lot of theses we've had about where healthcare is going, the need to unbundle primary care, the need to build a digital front door that can connect to the healthcare system at large. Like that's the role we were playing. We had 3,000 women turning to T as their quote unquote gynecologist for COVID testing, for guidance, routing their care, the most empowered for behavioral health. And the most powerful role we played was routing women to keeping women out of the emergency rooms and guiding the women who needed to go to their emergency rooms to the right place to get testing and go. But the vast majority of our patients, you know, we had a handful of patients end up in the ICU that we provided screenings and routed their care immediately. Uh, And then there's many others, the majority whom we screened through video and monitored their care remotely at home and actually kept them out of the emergency rooms, which is a very important role to play, particularly at a time when those emergency rooms are completely inundated uh, and the least safe place for a patient to be who doesn't need to be there. So it really reinforced our core thesis, which is the healthcare system is moving from a specialty-based model to a people-based model is being unbundled with verticalized models being built for specific populations, women being one of them who have very specific needs, who need a 
very a dedicated relationship that they trust, who need, who want someone, not something to manage their health and who can be that front door router who can both deliver care and then route them to other care as needed. But the need to build bridges and not walls to connect those front doors like Tia to the healthcare system proper, the inpatient world uh, is so critical and, and particularly difficult in the current environment. You raised $7.5 million so far. Given everything that you explained and described, I would imagine you're not worried uh, one bit about the funding in the future because some, especially medtech companies, are facing uh, difficult times ahead, at least for the next uh, year and a half, when investors are going to be a little bit more picky in a different way regarding where they're going to put their money. It's a scary time to be, uh, you know, a founder and CEO, given the, uh, I would say, depends what industry you are. In our case, I would say there are both threats and opportunities to our business. You know, we did close our brick and mortar practice, which is the where we generate the bulk of our revenue today. So that has a real implications. Of course, we will reopen. And for us, the question has been, where are we willing to make bets on what we think the post-COVID world is going to look like? Uh, and our thesis is, It's not 100% virtual, particularly not in women's health, but virtual is here to stay and the post-COVID world is online and offline. And we're really the only player in the space that is providing integrated care online and offline in a connected fashion. And I think that, to me, I have more conviction in than ever before. And I believe if we're able to execute that, we will be well positioned to uh, both with consumers and I hope with investors as well. One thing or topic that I also wanted to talk a little bit more about was the whole community that you are building around TIA. If I understood correctly, also host events or hosted events at your clinic. Is that right? Yes, that is right. And and now we've actually been hosting tons of digital events, which have been wildly successful uh, the past six, you know, five to six weeks as women are in quarantine and I think really desperate for that type of community. We've always believed that healthcare, particularly in women's health, there's space for highly personalized one-on-one care, as well as the need to connect with other women uh, in the context of your health and your experience. This is another way that we really seek to reduce the cost of care uh, by doing a lot of that education and ongoing behavior change in a group context, which is much less, much less expensive than doing it one-on-one. And as also, uh, we know there's a lot of science behind the how women de-stress in groups, whereas men do not, and how it's a really interesting sex-specific difference that we brought into our care model. We have everything from research panels to uh, we've been running a viruses 101 to manage uh, what we call support circles for different chronic conditions, anxiety, depression, miscarriage, sexual trauma, PCOS. And this is these types of uh, community events are really about connecting women with a provider in a group context, online or offline, to be able to connect, educate, uh, and provide that type of support. And the inclusion of a provider in these events is so critical. It's you, one, oftentimes will bring in an interdisciplinary provider group. It could be a therapist a nurse practitioner, a psychotherapist, whatever, uh, depending on the subject, uh, to share different perspectives. But, you know, we're trying to be the anti-Facebook group for health, right? There's lots of Facebook groups on there where that tend to, while providing an emotive support, oftentimes can, I would say, reinforce the rumor mill and the misinformation uh, issue that is so common. And so when we think of community, we're constantly saying, how do we deliver on this communal experience that women want, but do that in a science-backed way that provides women with the right information? 
do the women that are a part of your community, do they also communicate uh, online or uh, is it more, you know, a good customer experience and a positive uh, attitude from you as the provider towards your members or do they interact a lot among themselves as well? I think it varies a lot and it's a little bit different between the offline and the online because of just the nature of that. Um, we're, we've done some programs that are repeat groups and that's something we're exploring a lot more and I've put people in Slack groups and things like that. So how we continue to connect women is something that a lot of women want, but we haven't overly invested in that just yet. What are your expectations uh, of the upcoming months? It's anxiety producing because I don't think anyone really knows what the world is going to look like. What is the transition back to normal? Is there a new normal? Like, what is it? What is that? And, you know, we don't know either. What we do know is we provide a really critical service to women in New York City that women around the country want this care model and that we it's on us to uh, figure out how to scale it. And that means connecting online and offline in really powerful ways. When we open the Chi Clinic again in New York City, we will not go back to being offline only. We will be online and offline integrated uh, in figuring out how to do that from a staffing perspective, technology perspective, and then business perspective is a core focus for me right now. Did any interesting thoughts or ideas already came to mind to you during this very specific time? For me, the thing I'm thinking a lot about is why it wasn't virtual adopted before this. There's a lot of reasons from billing and re, you know regulatory barriers that prevented providers from pushing these pushing virtual care. Could you couldn't get paid for them to consumer psychology? There's a lot you know bad experience. There's a lot of stuff, and then obviously people have been adopting it at crazy scale. So what is consumer demand going to be for? this after all this happens and what are people going to want online? What are they going to want offline? And so that's been on my mind. I think for me, there's some, you know, it's about what's going to, on the regulatory side, what's going to stay, what's going to be rolled back. It can it be rolled back. Who are, you know, women and men going to trust when it comes to their health? I think people want to avoid a hospital at all costs for this for obvious reasons. And I also think people are going to want to invest and spend a lot more money on their healthcare preventively. Because we see what happens when you don't. You've been listening to Faces of Digital Health. If you liked the show, do leave a rating or a review wherever you get your podcast. This is the fuel for the show and helps others interested in digital health find the show as well. To browse through past episodes and find more about the podcast, go to www.facesofdigitalhealth.com. And of course, stay tuned. Stay tuned.